0: This is The Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geeks show number 325, recorded on September 7th, 2017. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way in their home, news reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for The Average Tech Guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the average guy.tv studios here in a beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. My favorite time of the year is fall, and it is here. Football season has uh, has kicked off, I think, just about everywhere, at least in the United States. And fall is in the air. Looking forward to some cooler weather so I can run more process more Bitcoin processes on my things at home so I don't have to feel so bad about running those things. Of course, we post the show with world-class show notes each week out at the average guy. Dot TV. Don't forget, you can join us on the mobile app. I, I am having some problems with the Android version of that. It works if you already have it. But if you've been trying to get it, uh, they made some changes over there at Google, and I have to resubmit the app, and I had to buy the developer's uh, license to get it done. So if you're trying to download Home Gadget Geeks, out at homegadgetgeeks.com and to our app, we want to thank LastPass for our sponsorship, by the way. I mentioned they were, I hadn't heard from, back from them. I heard from Amber. We're getting that going again. They're on for a third year. So that's awesome. They'll be on the show here, probably November. If you're trying to get it through Android, hang tight. I'm going to get it fixed. I'll let you know when iPhone works great. Head out to homegadgetgeeks.com. And don't forget the best way to support us is on the Patreon page. If you head out to theaverageguy.tv and look it for the Patreon link, just click it there. Uh, don't forget for the $1, you get pre and post show. I produce those every week now and I make them available on the Patreon site, and you can get them from there. You can even, there's even a subscribable uh, audio feed if you want to do it that way. If you, if you want to know what goes on in the pre- and post-show, sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's not. It's a potpourri of goodness. Sometimes it's just boring. If you w- want to get that, just uh, $1 in Patreon and, uh, and join us out there. We'll send it to you. And then don't forget, I had a question this week about our, we have an RSS. Uh, in fact, I was talking with Dwayne at the end of the show last week. And he was like, you know, I really wish you had a video RSS feed. I want to download the video. And we do. So if you head out to theaverageguy.tv slash subscribe, I've got two feeds. They've been around for a long time. Maybe you didn't know it. I don't know why you would want that One's 200 meg, the other's 400 meg. I don't know why you would, but people do. I get 100 or so downloads to each one of those channels every single week. You must like it or it's on automatic. One of the two. It just keeps showing up in the stats. And uh, so those stats don't lie. So if you want to get the video and you want to download it, you don't want to stream it. You want to download it. Check out. There's a video RSS feed for both large and small. That's for this show and Cyber Frontiers. All right, Paul Brann is back. Paul, longtime friend of Home Gadget Geeks and all things
1: really that, that we do. Paul, welcome back. Thank you. Always glad to be here, Jim. It has been uh, since uh, well many months since we last talked. Yeah, back back in the spring. Yeah, whether it's uh, on the air, or off, uh, we have yeah, we haven't really stayed in touch. So yeah, it's a lot of things yeah. to catch up on. I'm um, yeah. glad to be here tonight. Yeah, how are, how are things on your end? Uh,
0: you, well, I think last time we talked, you had just made the move over to VMware, and uh, and how's that going? And and how are you enjoying it?
1: Yeah, back in January, I joined VMware. Uh, there was a little travel, a bit of training in the beginning, but uh, it's been going great. And last week at VMworld it was my first time as an employee where you've got almost 30,000 people there and you're representing the company, kind of hosting guests and as a unique perspective because the previous years I've been there as an IBMer uh, speaking or as a blogger where they give you a, a blogger pass and treat you nicely that way. Well, now I'm an employee and they treat me as a blogger. I kind of get the best of both. It's just awesome. Uh, meet new people. Um, getting to do some demos and, um, frankly, booth duty is not a big deal. Three, four hours of staying there talking to people about stuff I love talking about. It's actually kind of fun. So, yeah, yeah it's kind of, it's kind of fun. Cause they
0: come to you, right? I mean, that's the, yeah. the beauty of the booth duty is that you just stand there and they literally just come to you. you yeah, know, you get, you have some great conversations. Did you run, you know, tickertry.com is your site. Did you, did you run into any, you're, I mean, you get some pretty good numbers over to your site. Do you run into fans who are, are are readers and who call you out on the stuff you wrote or, you know, those kinds of things? Do you run into those fan moments?
1: Uh, I do. And that, like, well, you, like you said, you're, you're tweeting out where you are. I told people on my schedule three weeks in advance, you're hoping people, if they spent, you know, four to six grand to get to a conference, they want to make the best of it. And if they're hoping to meet you, I want to tell them where I am. So yeah, there were a few people uh, that showed up either at my live demo or at the uh, booth, just to say hi, saying they've read my stuff for a while. That is so much fun. Um, and of course they might nerd out about hardware bits if they uh, have a server like mine. Um, there's one guy who was actually nervous doing it and that made me feel nervous. It was just weird, (laughs) but uh, it was, it was, was, yeah, it was weird, but awesome too. I mean that he had read so much stuff and watched so many videos that was clear. He was just super thankful and that made me feel pretty good. And it's nice. Um, And then we quickly tried to change topics into anything else so he'd feel more comfortable, and and that was fine. (laughs) But um, the public tweets, too, I mean, it's just really cool. People stop by and they, hey, here's me, Paul, and whatever. A lot of people do that at VMworld. Uh, So, VMware, like, super social company and really good at community building and all that. That's the attraction, the company. So, yes, it's enterprise serious software, software company that makes enterprise software ready for running the stuff that people don't see right behind the scenes. But as far as the IT pros that use VMware, well, there's hundreds of thousands of customers, Jim. So it's a lot like, you know, Microsoft or other huge companies that can build quite a following. And people um, are into it. VMTN is what VMware now calls their community. You remember MSDN, of course, you being in a, an MVP. Um, well, VMware has similar programs as well around people that contribute to the community or speak at user groups like I've been doing for years, well before I joined so, yeah, it's been very good. And the conference was a really nice mix of fun and learning and meeting new people.
0: Paul, when we think about VM, the state of VM for the average consumer, you know, on the business side, it makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of work that goes into it at the at the, you know, at the enterprise level. And, and I get all that you probably have the best view into hobbyists that are, that are into this VM space or, you know, we were the, on the home server side, you know, we were those nerds who were trying to run home servers, you know, in our basement and, and have, you know, seven, eight, nine terabytes of storage, some more. And I imagine there are some enthusiasts in the VM space that are like that as well. So you, you have folks who at home, you're, you're one of them. You have pretty monster stuff set up and, and, but when we think of the VM space for the consumer, do you think it's getting more traction, staying the same? Uh, is it is it dipping? How do you feel like for the consumer, you and me, that that market is today? Are we getting a lot of people doing it or where or, or is that at today?
1: Yeah, I'll start with, say, Hyper-V being built into Windows 10. You know, good move in Microsoft's part, right? If someone's just trying to dabble and get one VM going that they occasionally fire up, great, but remember, they now have... Linux in there, right? So maybe people fire that up less often. So I'd say unless you're really an enthusiast or someone actually cares to run multiple OSs, that tends to be an IT pro that needs to know, say, Linux, or someone that wants to run a a Plex server uh, VM, even though it's a maybe corporate-issue laptop, they're going to kind of carve that up as multiple VMs, right, keeping their world separate. You get past maybe three VMs, especially now that you have well beyond 16 gig of RAM, even laptops. My laptop is 32 gig of RAM, which is awesome. Um, And a one terabyte uh, M.2 NVMe drive, which is really awesome. Those two things together, you can do a whole lot more with one laptop than run just one copy of Windows 10. And that's the thing that gets people going to maybe VMware workstation, kicking it up a notch or say Oracle VirtualBox where, okay, instead of just uh, the Hyper-V built into Windows 10, maybe they're doing things that are a little more advanced, running VMs. They can right-click the VM and pause it, snapshot it. Uh, What's a snapshot? You're about to mess around with a VM. Linux or Windows, doesn't matter. And you don't like what happened? You rewind in time instantly to 45 seconds ago before you messed it all up. That's called snapshots. And that's in VMware Workstation, for instance, versus like the free uh, virtualization. So now you're seduced and into some of the more advanced features you get used to that. But now you try to go past three or four VMs in a laptop. You're running out of RAM there. Well, that's where home labs come in. You can get to 128 gig of RAM uh, for around $2,000 and run dozens of VMs on one machine that's running at only like 60 watts of the dial. So, you know, I've talked about that before in our other, uh, our other podcasts together where I'm not trying to convince people unless they have a, a reason to learn enterprise software like ESXi. It is amazing at getting enterprise quality software in the hands of average people at home. And they have an eval experience program that gets you 365-day license for a modest roughly $200 or $180 discounted. So that's the equivalent of MSDN, right, for IT nerds that need to know VMware for work. And honestly, Jim, the market penetration is huge for VMware in the, in the enterprise. For running pr- production workloads, uh, VMware is it for hundreds of thousands of companies out there. So if you have some inkling you're trying to do this as part of your IT career, that's where the home lab taking a direction of using ESXi, the hypervisor, installed on the bare metal. Meaning you put a USB key in a server, you install ESXi right in that USB key, it loads into memory, and then it's the fastest thing you can do to juggle dozens of VMs, even in a modest home lab. So hopefully I kind of summed it up. People have a progression. That tends to be where they're at. And yeah, my articles and videos tend to focus on those dumb little stumbling blocks that would prevent them from moving from a hypervisor that's installed on top of some other operating system they use versus one that's dedicated to take a machine and turn it into a virtualization server. And uh, those stumbling blocks are little and big, you know, licenses, uh, 60-day time bombs that annoy people. Well, just spend two hundred bucks if you're serious about your IT career, and you have a year with all the features. VMware does not hold back. It's pretty amazing what you can do in a home lab with a two hundred dollars license of software. It's really amazing. Uh, so that that's the enthusiasm I have for this. For many years, as you know, I've been blogging for six years about this stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you've your your site is hot. I mean it it it's probably it's probably one of those maybe top ten. Out there uh, talking about these products. Do you? What's the feeling that you get um, for the for for a beginner? So, you no. Know, a lot of our listeners have done this before, but maybe we've picked up a few that this is the first time they've heard you. If you're thinking about getting into this and you've got some, you need some spare equipment. You can't just make this happen. Well, maybe you can't, but you know you've got some spare equipment. What's really, Paul, the right way for someone very first time thinking about using, you know, the VMware? And now let's 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 set Hyper-V aside for a second. That's Microsoft mm-hmm. stuff, right? Let's when we think about VMware. What's the right entry point for somebody to get in? You, you mentioned the 60-day trial, but kind of talk me through that really quick. What's the right way in?
1: Well, hardware tends to be a big stumbling block. People hope they can just install it on any old four-year-old laptop they may have laying around. Um, you go eight years old, they can't even do 64-bit OSs, so those days are over. Uh, you go four years old, okay, it might have uh, a Celeron or something where it's missing virtualization features. So that's also a no-go. And then finally, it might have a real tech NIC that has no enterprise-worthy driver. In other words, VMware shuns it and says, we're focusing on Dell, HP, Supermicro, Lenovo, all the enterprise vendors, and they're really not worried about getting your real tech NIC working. Is that a big deal? Is that a reason to be annoyed? Well, again, think of the mar- the market that product is for. Yes, you can inject those drivers, but that would tend to sh- scare people away a little bit. If they're not committed enough to maybe buy something that actually is known to run VMware well, then it might not be the best you know, use of their time. Um, because yes, you might be digging up a command line or doing a, a little bit of work to get third party off the shelf consumer hardware like Core i7 stuff that was never in- tested by anyone necessarily to run VMware well. So I'm not making it. I'm making it sound too hard to run. No, it runs great and is rather easy to install in about three minutes on machines that it is ready for. Those machines have been tested with it. It's things that are on the VMware compatibility list. I know that's kind of self-serving because, as you know, I, I work with a, a ZND that's been really you kind know, of the darling, uh, taking over well beyond the Intel Nook. The Intel Nook tends to stop at sixteen or thirty-two gig of RAM. ZND goes to one twenty-eight and has two ten gig interfaces. Totally changing the face of what people would buy for the last two years. Core i7 won't be on the VMware compatibility list. Xeon stuff will in a big way and works great. And you can see your fan RPMs and your temperatures, all those nerdy bits that, you know, HP microserver users are used to seeing under Windows. Well, you can see all those nerdy bits too under VMware with the right machine that's on the list without doing any work other than mounting an ISO, putting in something to install E6I on, say where you want to install it, kind of walk away, set an IP address, point your browser to the IP, You're in business. That's that's the starting point. My videos tend to take it from there that there's a few steps afterward if you want to do the fun stuff, like moving VMs from one machine in your house to another uh, without them stopping. You know, the cool stuff that's called vMotion or just moving from one drive to another inside the same system without stopping with the VM still running. So those are the pieces that are a little more like intermediate classes or 201, you know, lessons. Uh, Watch a video and get an idea of what cool stuff you can do after you took three or four minutes to get the hypervisor itself installed. There's a whole lot more, you know, awaiting you uh, once you get to that point.
0: You, you mentioned a $200 price point for for the average home user, assuming they have equipment that's compatible. And I'm, I'm assuming there's a list I could get to that would that would tell me that. And then uh, is that is that $200 price point kind of the entry you think for uh, maybe a more serious enthusiast? They're going to spend about $200 a year to run this at home.
1: Yeah, because honestly, uh, you can download the free app and you can use features for 60 days and then the time bomb hits. So, again, if it's part of your IT career, even a small sliver or a chance you might want to know ESXi and how to install it, then, yeah, I would. it's a better way to go to put a little bit of money into yourself, just like you would with TechNet or MSDN, and say, okay, uh, my time is worth enough to not have to deal with a 60-day time bomb. And you can renew before 365 days are up and just keep the license going, not have to rebuild your home lab. Kind of a big deal if your home lab gets complicated over the years so i'm now sharing desktop jim you're seeing that okay yep
0: let me uh let me focus on you there we go all
1: right so yeah you're talking about you know hardware and software so let me start with this um uh, the fresh VM. it has no browser history but there that worked okay So VMTN reincarnated eval experiences to VM professionals, what MSTN TechNet is to Microsoft professionals. That's a little old article, 2015. Uh, The thing that was shocking to me is tens of thousands of people read this. So that's awesome. It's posting an article like that on my site that I wrote, having no idea that people would find it uh, even better because I talk about home lab stuff a lot, right? Virtualization, storage, backup. It, it, It makes sense to tell people, Hey, here's how to get your, you know, $200 key and exactly what to do and what to click on and, what the benefits are, so so yes, Jim. That's that's the starting point for the software, and then the hardware. I can show you um, a couple things. So this particular machine, all right, hardware compatibility list or HCL. People ag- give it an acronym under Windows. So here's what the site looks like. This is a VMware site. You type in some model and type of machine, and that shows this particular machine is actually on the list. That means you have some level of assurance with this particular release. It's going to work fine. And that's the gist of it. So uh, a lot of machines just you know won't high end with a, a GPU. Well, VMware is actually headless. You're not using the local GPU generally for anything. You just uh, the local display um, is not used for high end graphical output or something. That's often a kind of a shock to people. So yeah, um, thanks, Jim. And so my day job, where it intersects with the uh, evening, you know, tinkering, has to do mostly with storage. Right, so you remember our quest seven, eight years ago to take a bunch of drives and pull them together. That was Home Server, right? And we alluded to this a little bit on the pod, last podcast. What do you do when you have three, four terabytes of storage, but drives back then were only one terabyte in size? You make a RAID array, or you use Windows Home Server, right? That's where the journey started for me. This, I, this IT career business of helping customers with enterprise storage at work. You know, huge companies with many tens of terabytes, or hundreds of terabytes, or even now petabytes these days, right? And uh, the tinkering at home kind of came in handy with my day job more and more is what I was finding over time. So uh, Microsoft calls their storage aggregation now storage basis, right? And then VMware calls theirs vSAN. So that's what we're talking about where, you um, know, let me turn this off for a second. Screen sharing. Where did it go? Uh, my, oh, left-hand side. Yeah, I'm just trying to turn it off. I already titled yeah. it on. Am I back to my face? Yeah, I'm back you to are. my face. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so Jim, that, that's the story, but really has to do with, uh, SATA drives are slow. <laughs> um, you put them in a server and stick windows or VMware on there. Okay. But when you start to run two or three VMs on a SATA drive, even if it's an SSD, not great, it bogs down. You try to boot two or three VMs at once, your performance tanks to like one-tenth what it should be. That kind of bothers a guy like me. If you spent one or two grand on a machine, you don't want to do that. So the latest storage tends to be NVMe and that's an acronym I've written about over and over again. (laughs) I'll just give an idea here Um, because yes, it costs about twice as much per gigabyte, but it's also five or six times faster. So spend a little money, go with NVMe. Here I've got 1,940 references to NVMe over the last two years since it came out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So yeah. You're you're passionate about it.
0: Uh, well, you're, while you're while you're there, why don't you show the this, this screenshot? So Intel has a new device out. There you go. Let's yep. talk about it.
1: All right. Actually, I want to show a tweet too. But uh, so what's this form factor? This ruler thing. All right. So this is a little history of form factors. This isn't just an enterprise story, right? I'm trying to keep it focused on home labs and what you might actually use in a home lab. Well. Let's look at this picture here a little closer. Gumstick form factor, quite common in laptops. You might have a gumstick in your uh, Microsoft Surface. Uh, you don't even know it, it or do. some uh, Yep, no, yep. I think it. So M.2 yeah. is often there. NVMe is the protocol, meaning if you go in the BIOS and look around, you don't see anything SATA-like. You're not stuck at uh, SATA 3 speeds, which is 540 megabytes per second or something. You're at four, five, six times that speed, even in a laptop. Okay. Now, you put that in a server, like the little compact uh, ZNDs, and you have a decent amount of airflow across it, just a little bit of air, and guess what? They run full speed for many minutes without throttling. In a laptop, as you know, because of battery concerns and the temperature of the CPU, you run something high-end, video editing, whatever, it tends to crank up the fan and then starts throttling the gigahertz, right? So that's M2 is just kind of taking over and being the, the cheapest format to get for consumer stuff like the Samsung 960 Pro and 960 Evo which had their problems when they first came out of Christmas, but now the firmwares have fixed all that. So that's M.2. U.2, a little more enterprisey. That's just a form factor. It looks like a thick laptop drive, 2.5-inch. Ah, thank you, Jim. I was not showing my desktop. Sorry. Now you're showing I got it up. You bet. Yep. And then finally, add-in card, AIC. That's just uh, Intel's acronym for an add-in card. That's a PCI slot. Finally, what the heck is the ruler? The ruler is their desire to go all the way to a petabyte in a 1U server. Whoa. Um, and handle from a temperature perspective. So that's kind of a big deal. How do you shove a bunch of NAND chips, that's the ruler, onto one entity, which is one U high. So this device you're holding, it's about the size of a um, one-foot ruler, and a little bit thicker, typically, than your wooden ruler you might have laying around. Which, what do you know, I have one right here. Um, And they had it right there in the front and center when you walked into VMworld. Kind of cool, a big Intel booth. It's the first thing we spotted, and many of us were tweeting away on that thing Sunday. It's like, oh, there it is in the wild. We just saw Intel announce this a couple weeks ago, and here it is at VMworld, one of those cool moments. And, of course, I saw some familiar names of people I had met. So that's that's the ruler, Jim. Um, there's a little bit more. The M.2, the top one that was there, there's a wider one now called NGFF. Here, let me show that on my desk here. Go back to – oh, you got it. No, it's okay. I'll, yeah, I'll let you, you, you flip over. Yeah. yeah. Okay, back to
0: my. Uh... By the way, if you're listening to this on the audio, I say this all the time. This should be a good one to come over and watch on YouTube.
1: Yeah, and I'll try to explain what I'm seeing. I, I always forget that rather important detail. Yeah, yeah, People sorry. can't always see what I'm doing. All right, so now it does not want to share just that window. Let me click cancel mm-hmm. and try to share again. Application window. And now it's working. Awesome. You got a little lag. you seeing my roller yep. there? Oh, cool. Yep, we are. You bet. All right, next thing that happened is yet another form factor. Samsung and others. Um, what's this? Another acronym, NGFF. <laughs> uh, it's a fat gum stick. So here in their booth, instead of a long ruler form factor with a bunch of NAND, a bunch of flash chips like you've been used to using for the last nine years, uh, it, it takes the gum stick form factor and just bakes it a little wider. So imagine this, but about 20% wider on both sides. So same motherboard, same clearances, except you need more clearance on the side. All right, so that's quite a mouthful. A lot of form factors going on these days in the enterprise and home. Home mostly M.2, enterprise who knows. Lots of different competing form factors.
0: Paul, what's the what's so on this on this ruler? What are we talking about from a price point?
1: Mm, not released yet. I don't think they talked about that. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I mean, they were holding one. I remember asking the capacity. No, um, I did get him on film. I don't think he talks about price on camera. Uh, but let's go to the ruler here. Uh, there's me. I'm holding a ruler here in this video. And I think I might talk about the capacity at some point. And here's a picture I took of it versus a PCIe card. All right, so Jim, that's the last one. And this was pretty awesome uh, and fun this summer. So here I'm on my little site, been doing it for years. And I wasn't kidding when I said world's first close look. Um, Lots of bloggers had remote access to this in April. I actually had my hands on one in August. It was pretty fun to be the first you know, nerd holding that particular device in the world as the world's fastest storage that anyone ships at this moment in time or is about to ship. So strangely, it's many weeks later and it's still not quite shipping. It seems to keep showing two weeks from now on Amazon. So it's going to start filling the world you know, later in September, I'd say. That's an $1,800 device at 375 gig. That is a high cost per gigabyte. But again, we're talking about a whole new storage deck in here. And that is not NAND that you've been used to. has poor right endurance or doesn't really like being filled 100%. gets crummy performance. This is at a molecular level. Basically, all the construction, all the way down to the chip level, is a completely different animal. So Optane is Intel's branding of what's called 3D Crosspoint. So I tried to jam all that in the title. 3D Crosspoint is obtained by Intel or by Micron. I'll be calling it uh, something else, maybe Quantex or something. Okay. So, um, yeah, test drove that. Kicked the tires on it. Got to do some unboxing. And it's still working just fine in my home lab. Let me show you something here. Okay, that window acted a little funny. It wasn't full screen. Are you seeing everything just fine? You're now seeing a Windows yeah. desktop, right? Yep. yep. All right. So as we finish up this uh, kind of high-end you know, enterprise, what might come to your home labs soon? Well, I want to drive the point home. Gamers are going to get a PCIe card that's more for them, not an enterprise price, much more reasonably priced. And a firmware that makes more sense at home so you don't like accidentally brick it when it acts a little funny one day or whatever. Enterprise products are meant to basically brick themselves and get out of the way if something bad happens, right? Because you got 50 more of them um, or array of some sort or redundancy. At home, you don't have that. So you don't really want enterprise products in your home. So you might want to wait a few months maybe. We don't really know when Intel will do that. But yes, everyone knows they're going to come out with Optane for the home enthusiast that likes to run games and stuff. And it's probably going to be a PCI card uh, for now. And it runs about 15 watts or something when it's burning. So it's more than the M.2. It's not going to be M.2 all that soon, the tiny form factor. Okay, so I'll just quickly show you. Here's probably one of the world's fastest reboots you'll see. Um, And you've probably never seen uh, Intel Optane before. In the coming weeks, you should see uh, many blogs talking about this as they get their hands on it. Let me just go ahead and do a little reboot. So you're looking at a VM here. Reboot is not the most amazing test, but it's still kind of fun and basic. Um, You'll get a sense that, Even Windows Server 2016, that has a whole lot of services that start and stop when you reboot it, can be pretty snappy, uh, looking pretty much like Windows 10. So, there it goes. It's now rebooting. You're seeing the BIOS, which is a VM. There's the flag. There's the animation. People are listening to this podcast, so I'm explaining what's going on because it just took about seven seconds to get to the desktop. And you're in. And I'm in. I'm going to right-click and go to Task Manager real quickly. Click on performance, CPU is down to under 2%, under 1%. It's ready to do stuff. It's not like you're waiting around 45, three minutes, four minutes. Like Windows usually takes even on a decent laptop, right? So you just saw a pretty remarkable demo that was a blast for me to have. Just loaner gear, have to give it back to Intel soon. But man, was it fun to fly to the VM world with this and show it off to people that came to my to my uh, demo area.
0: How'd you pack that? I mean, that's.
1: I did you carry, carry it with you or... Sure did. did. State State and Southwest is generous. You bring stuff on the plane. You can check up to two 50-pound bags with them. They're quite generous with luggage, which is amazing. I didn't have that much, though. The server's only 12 pounds. This card was inside the server. It's rather tiny. If you look at my hands holding it, it's just a half-height, half-length PCIe card. So not a big deal to pack and uh, not a big deal to demo. Let's see. uh, You asked. So the demo I did at VMworld looks like this. You see me standing with a bunch of uh, colleagues, friends visitors, and the server is in front of me, way in front of me, actually. It's pretty small. It's only like 10 inches high, 8 inches wide. So there, that's it. Packing, that was no big deal. I have wheelie bag luggage that puts it right in the overhead bin even on the smaller planes. And this is the entire data center, what it looks like, Jim. Uh, a deck of cards for scale. Okay.
0: And uh, what's the, so give us the specs on this, what we're looking at right now? From So yeah,
1: the machine on the left here has, you know, it can have a 10 terabyte drive them him home. I don't fly with that, but 3.5 inch base, three of them. Um, and 128 gig of RAM, 12 cores or 8 cores. The 8 core is the one I fly with. The 12 core is the one I use uh, for my day-to-day um, blogging and 4K video creation and everything else. And I call it a traveling data center because I got a battery and a router and a switch and everything there with me. And um, you know some of that stuff I wanted to talk about tonight, like this $90 piece of gear I'm pointing to with my mouse there. People uh, can't see that on the podcast. I'm talking about an Ubiquiti, uh, EdgeMax, Light router. So that's a product I've talked about for a while. Quite good for home labs where you have Linux and Windows that need to talk to each other on a first name basis or fully qualified name or by IP address. Everybody can see each other by name with a non-consumer router. That's a little more enthusiast grade, a little harder to set up than your average, you know, D-Link, NICUR, Linksys. So that's part of why I do this demo is I bring all this stuff so I can show all the pieces of my compact 66-watt home data center, everything there with me. Um, that I use at home is what goes with me on the road yeah,
0: let's talk about paul let's make the uh, make a shift um uh, well, hold on before we do that so okay. um pricing wise what what do you think in that picture what, for a typical user what am I spending on that which that you got right
1: there okay um you're getting close to two grand with sixty four gig of ram and unfortunately ram's going up the thirty two gig ram sticks so now you're over two grand with RAM, and you still need to add storage. This is not a a cheap system, until you can get a one U version of it, a tiny, you know, one U compact version, uh, starting under a thousand with no RAM. But it's a kit, like an Intel Nook. You still got to add RAM. So to go to 64 gig of RAM, you're still looking at 12 or 1300 with no drives yet. So the price, though, being within 20 percent of a Nook, but four times the memory and all, yeah, it's it's quite appealing. Yeah. And and there was a that the lab they ran live at VMWorld. Uh, with 10 of those, 10 of these, the small versions of this, and they have less cores instead of eight cores, you got six, but yeah, you can get the price, uh, down quite a bit. And just to finish that up. So for when he's just getting started, this kind of summarizes here's Intel look, and here's all the other ones and the models and this table I built actually has price too. So take or try to forward slash compare, uh, prices change. I would encourage you to check them. So I just gave you some round numbers. Um, so yeah, that's just one system, Jim. But strangely, in the home enthusiast environment, there's no other servers on the VMware compatibility list. So now you can know why. It's not a surprise why I put my time and efforts, evenings and weekends, into one particular server. It's because only one company is shipping a server that's a turnkey solution. We just plug it in and power it on, and you have, are ready for installing VMware. All the others tend to be motherboards, and you got to buy a case and a power supply, right, and get your memory dims matched and all that. And that's not a big deal, but you know, I wish there were a whole lot of Core i7s and consumer stuff, but it's just not going to go that way. I doubt it. There's plenty of enterprise gear that supports VMware for a decade already. They really don't have any financial interest to worry about adding Core i7 com- consumer products or Core i9 now or yeah, and whatnot, so yeah,
0: keep 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 it on the keep it at the enterprise grade. I think that's where they want to be, right? They want
1: to stay yep. in that space. Yeah, yeah, no, no, make cool. no secret about that. Yep, but it can run quite well. Is the whole point here? All right, so. Yeah. I had some other ideas too of cool stuff to show off in that. But, um, so Jim, maybe if I just finish with like yeah. the router. So let me, let me just fire that yeah, up. Do that so why why would a router be exciting? Well, I have 300 megabits down and 30 up. You and I've talked about Cox communications before, Jim, we both share that you in Nebraska, me in Connecticut, and then they clamp down with caps, but at least there's a couple things with a router. You can actually kind of keep an eye on your bandwidth. Talk about that just a little bit. Um, but also when you go up to 300 megabits, that's you know, one third of a gigabit connection. A lot of consumer routers can't do that, right? So if you have a four-year-old router or a $60 router, it's not going to handle that much packet switching, like period. So that's one thing. And I just showed my home's IP. Well, I'll need to change IP addresses after the podcast. That's fine. It's no problem. Um, and everything's blocked. You know, firewall, there's no port forwarding on anyway, right? So nothing would happen. So DNS is the thing that's key in a home lab. And you make reservations. So yeah, you have a device, you fire it up, you give it a static Mac uh, IP address, and now in Linux or Windows, you type, you know, NS lookup APC. What is that device from any machine in my house? It resolves it. Doesn't matter if it's a Linux or Windows device. Sounds trivial, but that's what you really need for uh, for VMware to run really easily. Uh issue certificates on its own, it really expects to have a name, not just an IP. The way we're headed when you try to simulate an enterprise at home is let's not simulate anymore, let's just have something for 90 bucks that does true. DNS, no Active Directory, no Windows Server needed, just a $90 device solves that problem nicely. So uh, that's probably enough depth here, but if someone actually is interested and more about that, yeah, this is what the device looks like, Ubiquiti edge Router Lite, coupled with an Eero for Wi-Fi and putting the Eero in bridge mode. So DNS DCP comes from the router, Eero does all my Wi-Fi, that combination has been very good and, and very stable. And stability is rather nice to have. So out with the stuff on the left, and I just have these two devices on the right running my whole home um, for well over a year now. And that's fun to come back on the podcast and say, I have no regrets still, Jim. It's been going quite well, both from a Wi-Fi perspective, better than my house has ever had in the 21 years I've lived in this house. And then finally, the router, way more stable than any consumer brand, and I've tried them all. D-Link, Linksys, Netgear. Uh, you can ask my kids. There's a pile of purple and other color boxes gathering dust in my basement. Uh, they tended to need to be reboot every few weeks or even several times a week or at least every month or two, much less than that, maybe once or twice a year. Uh, so it's been a good story there. Okay. So enough of that networking stuff, but yeah, you can nerd out. And I have articles all about that. If someone is into trying to make a little more advanced router into something that looks a lot like a consumer device, my article gets into the exact commands and all that to do that. All right. Uh, so, Jim. Um, so, the,
0: yep. so, Paul, you're going to, you, you're, you're, you like that i huh? Set up three pack, about 349 for this.
1: Yeah. I don't have a, a, a huge home. Um, so, when we hear Dave McCabe talking about many different rooms and needing so many arrows, wow. Um, and I also don't have brick or anything, right? So, I think I'm fine with three. It seems to do very well with all the bedrooms and the uh, downstairs and upstairs. So, I have two levels in a basement. And I do fine with one hockey puck located kind of near the middle of each of those. Um, it's working out great. Uh, the speed was you really need an iPhone seven plus or later the chips in those later phones, like less than a year old to really show off what ridiculous Wi-Fi speed you can get pretty much all over your house by buying some sort of uh, mesh gear. And there's many alternatives to Eero now a year later, right? Eero was the, the starting point. Uh, it's rather nice. They come out with regular firmware updates seem to be whole hog supporting uh, their product coming out with a new generation and continuing to innovate even on the firmware of mine that is a great feeling uh, rather than being abandoned cuz there's new competitors right they just up yeah. their any
0: yeah uh, drop a, drop back in uh,
1: drop your picture
0: back in paul if
1: you want yeah like. sure sure sorry showing the boring windows Everyone the windows that one. Right. <laughs> they're
0: like all i see is windows
1: okay back to there, there you yeah.
0: um, go. yeah well interesting that you've you've landed on that i mean i think even from a home from a home um you know home gadget geek so to speak uh, that Eero product uh, without the router, the Eero product, you would use, you would, you endorse and say, hey, if you're putting Wi-Fi in, even in a smaller home, that three pack, you you've liked that setup, that's worked well for you.
1: Absolutely, um, and I will say, like Dave McCabe, I do wire it, so I don't have to necessarily, but since I can do gigabit wiring throughout my house anyway, why wouldn't I just give it? A wired backhaul is the word he uses, right? Um, Why have them talk mesh over each other and take up a channel? How about I just give them a wire? So it's part of why I'm making my first-generation Eero perform fantastically is because all three hockey pucks throughout my house are wired to one network that is attached to my router. Not really the way you're supposed to wire it, right? You're supposed to attach the Eero right to the cave modem and let it do its thing. Uh, I don't do that. I put it in bridge mode and do DCP and and DNS from a a router device. So a little unique. Kind of nerdy, not your typical thing where you just pull out the three pack from Best Buy and plug it right into your, you know, one right into your cave modem and the other two wirelessly somewhere else in the house. That's how they're designed, admittedly. But boy, they run great if you have the luxury of having wires run through everywhere. Yeah. And um, speaking of wires and uh, running everywhere. So uh, (laughs) one of my sons helped me out with wiring up my house for 10 gig recently. So I needed a Cat7 cable from basement to attic. Uh, I shoved PVC pipe through a laundry room. My wife was maybe less than thrilled a decade ago, like why are you shoving PC, PVC pipe and making holes in the house? But I'm very glad I did. <laughs> it made it pretty easy to run a standard that wasn't around a decade ago, and that is 10 gig, and it wasn't very much money. Under 50 bucks got me 100-foot lengths, a Cat 7, all set. I can move things, VMs, uh, large 4K video files, whatever, anywhere in my house from the upstairs server to the downstairs server. That's called the emotion. We talked about that earlier. 10 gigs awesome and get used to it. It's coming in more products. There'll be 2.5 and five gig middlemen too with consumer switches that'll come out in those, um, at much more affordable prices right now. 10 gig is like still six or 800 bucks for an eight port unit. That's horrible. Uh, or a two port unit. Like I showed you in that traveling rig I go with, that's about 250. So 10 gigs, not that affordable from the switches yet, but motherboards are going to be equipped with 10 gig much more soon. It's been 10 years of one gig. So it was time.
0: It's hard to believe it's been that long
1: you know, yeah, yeah. when you start
0: thinking about it. And and I think by now, everybody's taking advantage of it. If I'm going to go from one to 10, going to have to make a wiring upgrade, right? Is that, that's going to be a whole house upgrade if I want to get it across the house? Is that right?
1: Yeah, if you're Cat 6A, and one of my articles does cover this a bit, but yeah, Cat 6A, uh, you're probably good. I think up to 100 or maybe it's 250 feet. You got to you know, look for some wiki articles to make sure you got it right. So don't conclude you need to rip out your cabling. But if you're Cat 5E and you're at 100 feet, I knew that could be pretty marginal for me to do 10 gig. I really wanted to see it stable. And I just went and replaced it. And anyway, with got seven. Is that what you said? Cat seven, cat six, A would do two. And there's companies making ribbon cables now. So four of them together to go through that PVC, nice and compact rather than the the old days. Um, you know, this comes up a lot. I'm going to show something here again. Um, and it's those, those little cables. So amount price, I think your audience would appreciate this. If you have a rack, when I say rack, stuff that's within 14 feet of each other, there's a pretty cool option for really thin cabling that people seem to like every time I show it to them at one of these public places I've demoed. And that is the the monoprice cables. They're called, uh, let me get that out. Sorry, Slim Run, that's the word that was eluding me. So Slim Run cables, CAT 6A, they're 10 gig capable and they're tiny. So let me go ahead and fire up, uh, let's go to prices site. You'll see how thin these are. That's what they look like. Let me get you a better sense of scale. You can buy five, here's a five pack for only $9, not that big a deal. You can get yourself a 10 pack, get the price down and you go only go up to 14 feet. So there's a catch to get such thinness. You're only going up to 14 feet. But boy, um, for the rack or for like what I was traveling with, let me show you a picture of the back. There you go. Now you get an idea. That'd be kind of a rat's nest with four thick cables and a fifth one for management all going here. Instead, there's plenty of room for airflow and you can kind of actually see what's going on in the back of my server because these servers are cables are so darn thin. They're awesome. So they get comments everywhere I go like, wow, server looks cool a little bit. Wow, those cables, where'd you get them? Yeah, Monoprice has been doing that for a year. If you're not aware of HDMI cables, they've gotten real thin these days too comes in handy when you travel with a 15 footer attached to, attach to a, a monitor, like when you go to trade shows as well. So yeah, I got I got one the other day inside of a product that I got, um, and yep. it was it was
0: small, but it was thin the other way. It was like a pancake thin, and it was really thin. I mean, it was one of those I felt like it was going to come apart. But they really are trying to jam those things in smaller and smaller form factors and keep them, you know, kind of keep them out of the way. This one would have slid under something really nice. You know, you could have slid it in between a space that's that's not too wide, and, uh, and and get pretty good cabling on it. So it's interesting. I hadn't thought about replacing cables. I here in the here in the Collison uh, server room, it's pretty much your standard, you know, cables from ten years ago. You know, when you look at them, that size, you know, that kind of standard size of network cabling. Uh, so it's probably something I should consider. And like you're saying here, not too terrible of an upgrade from a cost perspective, you could get in there. There's probably, would you say those are 14 feet is what you said? Yeah, so 14. is the max length. And, and that's what, for 30 bucks, I get five of those for 30 bucks at 14 feet, uh, something like that. So, uh, you know, a, a nice little upgrade. I could probably, you know, use, use 10 of those, almost everything's within 14 feet and, uh, and get some really nice um, kind of get some economies and not have, big thick cables everywhere. It works, but that's kind of nice that you're getting these smaller options.
1: Yeah, and ready for 10 gig someday, right? So a little future proofing. 20 bucks on Amazon gets you a 10 pack, so 2 bucks a cable.
0: But but chances are my equipment's not ready for 10 gig, right? If I'm running PC equipment that's a couple years old or if I'm re- using some inexpensive switches or, you know, those kinds of things, chances are I'm at 1 gig. Is that right? Do you think?
1: Yeah, but like QNAP, I visited their booth, did a little 4K video, walking around with my phone and an external mic, and I recorded this guy, and he's showing me, and I zoom in and, and show 10 gig options even on their consumer-focused one. So even when you buy NAS, especially if multiple machines in your house are hitting the NAS, 10 gig really starts making sense. Let's just hope by Christmas the switches to go with it really fall in price. That's still a sticking point because hmm. um, right here this thing is still, I think, 600 bucks. This is the one that's uh, running in my basement full-time now let's see let's see the current price 800 went up yeah that's brutal so what's expected to happen is a bunch of consumer chips showed up let me show you that here we go i have an adapter running 10 gig on my laptop that sounds nuts but this is a dell xps 15 equivalent it's called the dell precision 5510 kind of the corporate version and when you have thunderbolt 3 you can do an adapter like this with thunderbolt 3 on one side and 10 gig in the other it can handle the bandwidth and remember it has nvme storage inside so we can actually push data and need 10 gig to move from one machine to another. So I have two servers and a laptop, all at 10 gig. It's awesome. I've been building those building blocks for years. I only finally wired the house, you know, last month. It felt great to do that. So these chips that are inside of these are auto switching all the way from two point, they do one gig, 2.5 gig, five gig and 10 gig. That's what's coming to consumers on like core i seven, core, core nine, probably first, uh, this year. So, hopefully, there'll be a whole wave of new switches that are way more affordable. Um, speaking of uh, gear for laptops, this might be more broadly applicable to an audience. If you have USB C, you might find the p- slim pickings for Thunderbolt 3 uh, docking stations. And I think there's only one right now. It was supposed to be one from Lenovo, and they pulled it. I had a back order for four months, and finally, they said, never mind, we canceled your order. Um, here's the key when you look at docking stations, and you want the ability to maybe plug in a hard drive or something on another Thunderbolt port, you need an expensive dock because you really want a port on the back that actually does Thunderbolt again. In other words, you don't want to take up your laptop's one Thunderbolt port and then you can never do anything else uh, like a hard drive or an external RAID or, uh, in my case, a USB, sorry, a Thunderbolt USB-C connection that goes to my 10-gig adapter. So right now I have this whole, I have three monitors Um, everything running on one. So finally I made it to that one cable dream. Many people have had for a long time. Let's see where I got that. There we go. Uh, I have a picture of the laptop somewhere in here. And where do I have it? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, no, I know where it is. I'm sorry. I'm making anyone dizzy. Who's trying to watch me on video. I I just had a seizure. Yeah. You just had a seizure. Okay. Well, you're good. Good. Keep going. (laughs) And there it is. The picture I wanted to show you. This is everyone's dream. (laughs) One cable for a laptop, right? It's charging and it's a high-end laptop. It's a Core i7. It can handle the watts. You need a beefy dock for that. You're not going to get by with a $100 Thunderbolt dock. You're going to be setting 200 bucks it up is my point. But if you do that, there it is. The dream is alive. Big power brick up here, giving this blue power light to the big Dell dock. And then just one skinny little cable going to the laptop itself. And then this little box on top is my 10 gig. It's crazy, but I use it. I use it all the time. 4K videos, files are a huge, Jim, and moving them around from one machine to another can be uh, rather slow, even on one gig. Watching things happen, you know, in 10 seconds, it used to take uh, minutes is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, you you know, it's funny, you, a lot of the videos, 4K, that you're doing, are doing for the job to show these things. It's a kind of a self-perpetuating thing that you're doing there, right? And it, uh, right? You're shooting a lot of those videos for what shows up on your site?
1: Yeah, unboxing things or hybrid—you know, unboxing an Intel Optane. Uh, Well, (laughs) I'm holding an Intel Optane. Lots uh, of—it's awesome to be publishing a video. And if I'm unboxing and trying to show it close and every little chip and all the pieces, yeah, I I have it well lit and I use 4K mode in the camera, which is not so fun to edit. (laughs) It's—it's pretty bulky stuff and hard on disk space and all that. But it is nice uh, to be able to zoom in. And sometimes you have something you want to crop. You can zoom in on Camtasia post production and. It's still quite good quality. So Most people are watching in 1080, right? But you can maintain that quality even if you have to zoom and crop on a video. So yeah, 4K is common, uh, you know, and it's quite common on laptops, including, you know, my laptop here. Mm-hmm. 4K in a travel laptop is weird, by the way, but uh, yeah. it can be problematic because yeah. external projectors are not using it. But right. you will see, I'm so spoiled by multiple monitors, I have a secondary monitor here. It's using Thunderbolt 3, a USB-C cable hooking up to my laptop. There's no battery in it. There's no power button that you need to use. You just plug it into your laptop. The second screen pops up. Now you're sitting in a hotel room using two monitors. Awesome. Retail on that is what? Let's have a look at the current price. They've now replaced it with a new model. So let's see if it's still on Amazon, the previous one. Okay. You can buy used 172, 166. So because oh, it's not easy. terrible. Well, no, but the new one that replaced this, so mm-hmm. this is Asus 15.6 inch, meaning it matches my laptop screen size. Uh, the new one is actually 300 or something, and uh, forget it. I guess I'll have to find it later. Um, maybe LCD travel. It's IPS to screen. There it is. 249. 249. And wait, there is more. Let me just show it to you. Here we go. So. They made the bezel even thinner. It's obviously not on right now. And my Logitech camera is using the USB-C port. So my laptop has only one USB-C port. Mm -hmm. I can't turn this on right now. But look how small they made the bezel. In other words, it basically looks like this, a Dell XPS 15, a very thin bezel laptop right next to it. Um, And they've made a better case. Uh, So yeah, there you go, Jim. And it has kind of an origami, origami magnetic thing folding up here. And now it stands up. Pretty simple assembly and two positions for two different angles. So they do a good job. I have a very close 4K unboxing video. I don't think I actually have that one published yet on that display. A lot of things we're talking about haven't quite published, Jim. But you and I often do that. Talk about things I'm about to uh, write about soon. Yeah. People want to stay teakertry.com. You want to stay close to that if
0: you want to go out there and and see some of these things that we've talked about. Uh, I haven't had a lot of envy. I mean, okay, 10 gig networking. Uh, that's, that's okay for me. Some of the other things you've shown other hard drive stuff way out of my league, but that monitor, Paul. That monitor. I, I'm a little jealous of that monitor. That's a if I was gonna spend for two fifty, have an extra one travel. Now I end up sometimes I just carry a cable with me. And I plug into the hotel, you know, I drag the TV over and I just plug into that to get an extra monitor. But that's uh that's pretty nice.
1: Yeah, um, look at the thinness too, right? So adding to my travel bag a whopping two pounds, not a big deal. And adding maybe a centimeter and a half, maybe do a
0: little you, bit more. Do you take it out when you go through TSA? Do you take it out?
1: Uh, generally, no. haven't had to because yeah. they don't really see it as a laptop. There's no keyboard or anything. Right. Um, yeah, Jim, I'm not your typical traveler. I work, customers doing all kinds of stuff in the day. And then at the night I'm writing stuff. I'm using two monitors in a room constantly. So being in a hotel room and having two monitors, by far the biggest productivity boost of any other accessory I could yeah. ever buy. No. With every penny of that for me. Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. I, I've found though, I have found in a pinch, I carry a HDMI cable with me and in a pinch, I can almost always in the places I stay, it's not the greatest, not always the greatest resolution, but I can drag that TV over, plug it in and, uh, and be up and running on a, with a second monitor,
1: Again, a little awkward, but it, it does work in a pinch. That works in a pinch for me. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you saw some weirdness in my picture, too. I have some other accessories and a mouse. Uh, you get pretty particular, right? If you're writing yeah. for six yeah. years, you have, you have your productivity tools. You really like to have them on the road, and they really don't add much to your travel weight. Right. Um, there was a couple other updates from when you went out last talk, too. Let's see. So Ecobee a Thermostat, that's coming up in two years. Cool. They have a new one. I don't really necessarily need to have Amazon Echo or Echo-like capabilities you're talking to it. I'm okay with it you know we've got it programmed in a way my wife and i are comfortable with it that's not always easy changing seasons we have air conditioning and then we have baseboard heating and having it to have two separate programs where you can just kind of swap between one set of settings to another it doesn't really do that so here we are two years into its product life cycle i don't think nest does it either um where you can just say here's what i will do in the summer here's what i do in the winter i have to kind of manually reset everything every spring and fall not a big deal still a successful project they're quite reliable I did have a voltage issue um, where I had to add a transformer to it. A little weird, but that's common in houses where you have only two wires when you open up the wall. And I are like, oh, this is not supposed to be a battery operated device. supposed to get voltage from a transformer somewhere. And now you're fishing wires through walls. No big shocker. That's Ecobee's story. But guess what? The same exact thing happened to me, Jim, about a year ago with Bring Video Doorbell Pro. I returned the original one, had some problems with it, went to the Pro, was a little better, but still had some issues with um, reliability. Finally, replace the transformer, the little thing that you see a lump in your basement somewhere, probably near your, um, well, it could be anywhere in your house, really. But a little transformer that's running your front doorbell for your home, I replaced mine with a brick one. And those problems went away. Oh. So I, the same exact transformer I ended up using for both my Ecobee to give it its own voltage regulate, you know, little power supply, ended up doing the same thing for a ring video doorbell. So those projects didn't end up being beginner, easy, you know, 10-minute affairs, both of them turn into multi-hour troubleshooting, talking to tech support. But in the end, that is fun. You know, you bought it in the first two, three months it came out. You know you're in for it. It's fine. And then it's extra cool to just blog about it and to help people avoid that other pain. And people like Jamie reaching out to me directly. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, He's a good guy. How, how, um,
0: how old do you think uh, the Transformers you were trying to use or the Transformer for the Ring Doorbell was? How old do you think that? The, I mean, is there some advice that if you're going to put some of these newer devices in, you should probably upgrade your transformers to have a newer one?
1: Well, the house is 21 years old. So let's see. Actually, built in 94. And let me go ahead and share out that desktop again and show the transformer. I would be very, very careful. Work with tech support. Don't take any advice I'm telling you here on this podcast um, because we're talking about your safety in your home and the thickness and the gauge of your wires. So I wouldn't want you to do something dangerous. So if you have thin wires that were never meant for anything uh, but a doorbell or even going from, was it 16 to 20 volts, and it can't handle it, that could be bad. Things might heat up. You might melt to insulation. Wouldn't want you to do that. So both Ring and Ecobee 3 are fantastic on the phone. They're unbelievable. They could be on the phone with you for hours with top engineers telling you all kinds of electrical stuff to make sure you buy the right stuff that's safe. So there you go. That's my disclaimer. Just be very careful with what you do. Um, and call those companies for tech support. None of my articles are any kind of substitute for that. All right, back to the Hangout. Let me share the desktop and just show you a couple of tips there. So I imagine, Jim, your audience, people listening to you and and um, Dave McCabe, yeah, there's probably a fair amount of be and Ring owners. And now I guess there's a new Nest too, right? So uh, something finally happening with that product again, which is kind of good for the uh, industry to keep moving forward, competition. All right, so here it is. Let's go to this article. And I've got a picture. There you go. 24-volt transformer, uh, $10.49. Amazon Prime two days later arrives, and all my problems went away with my doorbell, and any problems I had with having to wire up my basement thermostat were gone. So you'll see right there it shows... 26 volts without load. I'm like, really? Is that normal? Having an engineer from Ring and could EcoBee tell me that's fine. That's reassuring, right? But again, don't do this without knowing what gauge wiring you have, or if you really don't know what you're doing, you're not comfortable. Would not recommend it. It's now a year later. There's plenty of people like me that have talked about this stuff. You're no longer a pioneer blazing new trails if you buy a Ring Video Doorbell Pro or EcoBee 3, right? They're well into their product lifecycle. So yeah, we
0: we've working. I, I shouldn't say we. I'm considering it now that we think. You know, we we thought we might move next summer. We've got some other things going on, a wedding and some other things happening um, that are making me think eh, maybe we'll stay for another couple of years. And I shouldn't say it too loud because Sarah really wants to move. But um, uh, I'd love to have I I put a a homemade uh webcam on the front porch just to kind of have something out there. It's not really working. It doesn't. The uh, I haven't purchased a subscription to get the motion sensor working and those kinds of things. But I got, uh, you know, I got it on the on the on the front door. And I keep thinking eh, that ring looks better and better all the time. So I don't know. As soon yeah. as I buy it, will move. You know, it's going to be one of those things.
1: Yep, and all IoT devices, Internet of Things. If you have a choice, one little tip I've heard people say is because things are attack vectors for your home network. Right, anything could get breached at some point. It might be a vulnerability in the code. Uh, even Ring had a scrape with, I guess you could rip it off the front door and you could actually ext- extract the 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 web key for your home's Wi-Fi. That kind of nasty stuff, right? So I just joined mine to my guest Wi-Fi. That's one way around it, right? So if someone's on my guest Wi-Fi, it's not as big a deal as if they're actually on my Wi-Fi, which is my home network, right? So these Internet of Things devices tend to be uh, kind of less awesome from a networking stack. They're super cheap Linux and things happen. <laughs> so I'll just kind of leave it at that. So I, I don't go nuts with Internet of Things and i don't have a ton of junk on my home that I don't trust. And I don't really want to have to watch some video uh, $70 streaming webcam I bought um, that does Wi Fi also from you know years ago, I just let it gather dust, I don't really want to track all its Linux vulnerabilities that come out every week and patch it. it it's a nasty world out there for this stuff. But at least with ring, Ecobee, the stuff I talked about today. And uh, Eero all of those seem heavily supported by their vendors and regularly firmware updated way more than any Linksys router ever did, right? Those things they'd orphan after a year, they never come out with the firmware again. Now you get to year two and three, and some vulnerability happens, you're basically faced with replacing the whole darn thing. That might happen here too. <laughs> we don't know. Dude, these are still pretty new products, but and that's just a shame asking people to spend 250 bucks every two, three years. I'd rather leave this stuff on my house for 10 years, frankly. Oh, for sure. For sure.
0: We, we've we gotten, I'll flip your picture back, but yeah. we have, um, we have gotten, this is, I think this is a problem that we have gotten conditioned to, dr- to buy these 250 and $300 devices that used to last a decade or two that are now two and a half, maybe three years in some, you know, before something either wears out or, they get outdated, or the services stop, or they get, right, they, they stop talking to things. And so I, I do get a little concerned when I think about some of these these more expensive devices that we expect for, you know, some, even in the $500 price range. You showed some stuff here tonight, you know, uh, six dollars or $700 price range, and they're, you know, I, you're not maybe getting the longevity that you used to or think you would be getting out of some of these purchases. You know, my parents didn't even think my my parents never replaced their thermostat. Like that wasn't even, it was the original one that we moved into the house, you know, and that house was built in 1957. That was a thermostat. And we used the same thermostat until they sold the house in 1992. And we just, you know, we're adding more of these units and they see to me. It just seems like they're going faster and we're paying more. So it is, I think it is a concern for a lot of people. I mean, I think they're just like, You know, is a Nest, if I buy a Nest today, is that going to give me more than five years of use uh, before something goes out? It not physically goes out in it, but maybe services stop or you've got to upgrade and it won't upgrade anymore. You know, and you mentioned it before, security issues. They find stuff in them and you, you just said yourself, I'm not going to take an old camera and be patching it all the time. Do we want to be patching our Nest thermostat or being worried about it for, you know, beyond the four or five year mark? I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm not making a determination there, but. I think we got to think a little bit differently about it than we used to.
1: Yep. that's kind of a business model thing. If you're in the business of making something as cheap as possible to show up at Costco and, you know, how incented are you to keep that product running three, four years later when you really just want to sell someone a new one? And that's a problem for the quality of the code and yep. paying developers to want to care about that old unit and all that.
0: And when you're dropping two or three or 400 bucks on it, that's, that's,
1: that's a big deal. So let let me on a more positive note. So it's something like EcoBee3. It's awesome to just that they're just getting started with trying to make your house smarter. But I just said just getting started. Like smart thermostats to see what room each room temp is and then average out those two rooms that I care about when I'm working at home and keep them comfortable and ignore the rest of the house. I love that stuff, right? That's a huge step in the right direction. But wow, wouldn't it be better if your air handler for your air conditioning system in your attic or basement actually smartly opened and closed ducts for different rooms? That's a whole nother level of efficiency that could be obtained. We're not even really close to that yet. Yeah. And um, it's starting to come, but man, the vents are pretty costly. Uh, and there's some companies doing that. So I, I, smart louvers would be one option. I tried one, and it was incredibly loud. You have this whooshing noise of, because it's trying to hold back the noise. Right. In the room you're in, a yeah. one-millimeter gap, you're hearing air blasting out that one-millimeter whistling. It really needs to be a smart like octopus in your attic, the, the thing up there, the air handler that shoves air into the different rooms in your house. That thing <laughs> needs to be connected and not with some, you know, Linux that needs patching a, a month or two later. It's, I mean, it could be Linux, sure, but it needs something like the heft of ecobee3, like trying to sell you, okay, here's what a $2,000 Internet of Things air handler costs or maybe an add-on device. And that's going to be a tough nut to crack. The billing industry seems to change, take incredibly long to change, right? Look how long it took to get thermostats to be updated. Um, but I think air handlers and air conditioning could be next, you know, I hope.
0: Anyway. Yeah, maybe it, those those are those cycles are so much longer. It's like the automobile, right? It's we're yeah. having we're having trouble getting some of this tech uh, into cars because the the change cycle is so long. And you know, shoot, I'm I'm coming up. Um, you know, I, I've got a well, you and I own a car. It's just it's same year, same same style. My, my car looks almost as good today and drives just as good at 183,000 miles as it did when I bought it. In fact, I may drive a little bit better. Uh, a few things need to be fixed on it at the moment, but I don't have any plans to get rid of that car. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not able to take advantage. It's 11 or 12 years old now. I can't take advantage or I have a trouble taking advantage of some of those, you know, some of those new things are coming. Air, air handlers sure. and, you know, HVAC systems are the same kind of thing. I've got this system. I don't want to replace it. They're, those are, that's a $5,000 deal.
1: So, you Jim, I, I just got done showing you the world's fastest storage. And then I sound like a complete fuddy-duddy saying, yeah, we both have had a Civics that are from 2006 for me, right? Where I'm still driving it. It still works. I'm trying to basically have a less than horrible footprint on the environment. And electricity is pretty expensive in Connecticut. So I care about things like not overclocking a CPU to get 20% more performance because it has twice as many watts. That appeals to me not at all. (laughs) Having something that's 60 watts that I can leave running 24-7 efficiently that's appealing. It's kind of the same attitude with car and house and everything else. So some of these things, uh, yes, they're leading edge, bleeding edge, but far, as far as what's practical and what I keep and what I blog about, it tends to be the stuff I have for years that I'm successful um, owning. And I feel proud of sharing that I'm happy with my purchase. Yeah.
0: Well, um, Paul, one of the, one of the things I've really liked about is I followed you over the last couple of years and the stuff that you do. One you, you're not a one and done blogger. So you don't, you don't get a a product. You don't unbox it, test it for 30, 45 minutes, uh, come up with some shoddy things and things that don't work. And I've even heard reviewers say, and it's got this, but I don't even know what this does. And that, you know, it's like they didn't even work with it. And then that's it. The post is up, boom, it's done. The It's sent back or they keep it or whatever. Uh, I saw you put up one of your posts, and it's like, update, 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 update. You had like seven or eight updates to the post itself where you had gone in and updated the post and made some changes. So, one, I really appreciate your willingness to stay on top of things and to keep the product updates coming regardless of how long you've had it. And, And then, two, you're the most methodical, thorough person I know. You just, you just do a great job of making sure that you've gone through it all. You've thought through it all. I, I look at your site and I'm like, how the heck? I think I'm busy. <laughs> how, how do you find the time to be so thorough? And I think your consistency plays into this. You know, you can, you just, you continue to do the right things over and over and over again. Um, so anyways, I just want, I want to encourage you on those two things for people who have not been out to Tinkertry. You should definitely, this is one you got to book. I say this every time you're on, but you got to bookmark this thing. And this is, if you're in this space at all, this is the site you come to.
1: Jim, I really appreciate what you what you said. I, I really do. And uh, part of taking my weekends back and trying to avoid drudgery of, you know, virus-infected laptops and all, I've been cloning VMs for years, been handling laptops in the family that break for years, making a VM out of them while the laptop's getting... Replaced just stuff in the drive in my machine, booting it, giving the remote access to their Windows 10 while the machine's away getting fixed. That's stuff that gives me time back in evenings and weekends, trying to be smarter. And backup products, and you know I moved from Windows Home Server over to you know Veeam. That's also a success story. So I'll, I'll close with a story there. Kids getting ready for college uh, a couple days before departing. Hey, uh, I use Ubuntu more and more, not as much Windows 10. We have a Windows 10 with an Ubuntu VM. Can we switch it the other way around? Let's install Ubuntu on the Dell XPS fifteen. I'm like, oh. Okay, this could be interesting. Are there Bluetooth drivers? Are there Wi-Fi drivers? Are there video drivers? Can the video driver handle a secondary display over Thunderbolt in Ubuntu? I had no idea, but I knew I was in for maybe something a little rough because it needed to be Ubuntu 17, it turns out, which is kind of the latest and greatest. And then, of course, I fell back on one of my tools. I've been backing up for Windows for years using Veeam. I'm going to go ahead and use Veeam uh, Agent for Linux and that's what I did. And when you know, it worked. And even if you don't have a GUI, it's like uh, the DOS days, Jim. Remember when you fire up a DOS utility and it kind of looks like a GUI and you hit up and down arrow with your keyboard and left and right? Well, Linux, you don't even always have a GUI, right? You might have a server you're trying to back up. Pretty cool that they did a good job handling that as well. You just install the product and it does daily backups. And now you send your kid off to school with a way to recover in case his laptop's completely host. And I just gave uh, an old 512 gig. Spinning 2.5-inch laptop drive with a USB adapter, put backups of both Windows and Ubuntu on there so he could recover any which way he needed to if something horrible happens. And off he went. That's a story that's, like, practical, right? It's me dropping everything, dropping all blogging. Family member needed me. Nothing else is more important than getting that laptop ready for him going to college. And that's what I just went and did. But it's fun to then, you know, share that later with other people uh, with a quick blog post saying, by the way, this product I've been using for a year saved my butt, you know, yet again and sent me off with some assurance. I don't have to try to talk him through installing this, which he could do and we could do. But, man, we spent some time with Bluetooth and video. All the things I knew we might spend time with. What do you know? Video driver was tearing. We had to do a new NVIDIA driver. Uh, Optimus doesn't work on Ubuntu, only for Windows, where you automatically switch from Intel and all that stuff. (laughs) All the stuff I suspected might bite me did. And being able to um, recover if things went horribly wrong in Linux, which they can, and just restore from a VM a Veeam backup, that was invaluable. It was my usual bag of tricks. The same stuff I've been doing for 20 years as an IT pro at work. Backing up stuff, cloning, it's all the same tricks. That's kind of how I get some of my time back, Jim, for just writing blog posts and some of the, you know, the stuff that I really enjoy yeah, instead yeah. of you know drudgery.
0: Well, I, you know, you do it, you do it well. So thanks for, thanks for coming in here and making my evening. I learned a ton just as you're going through. Now I got some new, new things that I'm thinking. It's like, Hey, speaking of that, uh, other Jim, no, Ken had asked a little update on Veeam. Uh, you, you've been talking about it for a while. You obviously, you still recommend it as, as a backup. If someone was going to start using that moving away from whatever they're using, by the way, I hear from people, all the time, Paul, that are still using Windows Home Server, which is just crazy. I just recently, I think, I've heard from two or three uh, who've said to me, uh, "No, I'm still a Windows Home Server guy, and I still have an original 490 or 470." Uh, they're doing it. Uh, they're doing it that way. So I think you've locked up, Paul. Can you still hear me? I might have lost Paul. Paul, if you can hear me, just reset your connection. Come back in. Uh, and so uh, it's been a surprise. I'll see if we get Paul back here in just a second. It's been a surprise to me as I've traveled the country the last uh, couple weeks, uh, four or five weeks. I have, um, yeah, I've heard from a lot of people who are still doing home server, either I, I uh, homebrew or uh, they built their own. Uh, I was at Christian's place; he's got a 490 in his closet. Um, you know, and then I just heard from other people who are like, yeah, no, no, I'm still a home server guy, which I met with a guy today who I was talking to. I said, you know, I always, uh, whenever I meet windows MVPs, I always tell them I'm a windows insider. And then, you know, they will all say, but I came from the windows home server community From, Oh, windows home server. Yeah. I gave that a try, you know, and, uh, a lot of folks that, uh, come from that. We'll see if we can get Paul back here in just a second. I know I've said this a dozen times, but oh, here he comes. I'm big a big Acronis fan for doing some of that. Here you're back. We we just locked up for a second.
1: Sorry about that, but I'm glad I'm back. And uh, you were saying about Acronis, yep, another product I've used.
0: Uh, yeah, Acronis has been good to me. Uh, quick update on Veeam for folks maybe who haven't, you know, jumped in on it or haven't uh, used it yet. Uh, I know you highly recommend it, but updates to that or things being done, is that being actively developed, that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, like their VM agent for Windows, they came out with a new update where even when I'm in a hotel for four days, like in Vegas, uh, five, six days, it's doing daily backups to a local cache because I have no VPN connection back home and that'd be pretty big a bandwidth hog in a hotel anyway, right? So it smartly does daily backups. And that already saved my bacon once. There was a driver, uh, a Windows update. It made something not work so well on me. I'm like, uh, not too happy with this. So you actually have a way to do daily backups and recover a file from the day before, even when you're on the road. When you normally are not backing up to like a Windows share or NAS or something you at home. So that's a pretty cool. little minor innovation. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but within a month of me installing it in the new version 2.0, um, there it was. Saving my bacon where I was able to grab something from a day before and something bad happened when I was out and about. And then, like I said, you know, other operating systems like Linux. And they let you back up servers. Windows Server 2016 guess what Microsoft doesn't let you do with Windows Home Server agent stuff, right? Their version, they would block it from their own server products. Not recommended if you're doing an Oracle database or production, right? You're not supposed to be, but if it's a home lab and you're just, you know, playing around with copies of Windows Server, very nice the Veeam also lets you do that. And yes, free. They have paid for versions, like 50 bucks a year or something. I think if you want some higher levels of support, and I think the daily backup to a cloud, ca- uh, a cache that reconnects later. Uh, some of that stuff can cost money if you want it to, but now the, the basic... De- schedule daily backup all that's free and it stayed free. So yeah, that's enough about Veeam. There, there are many other products to do I that. Think they, they... I think it's good to look at.
0: I, I think it's if you're a Windows home server, you know, those those things aren't going to stay around forever. Paul, while you were gone, I was saying, I'm hearing from more and more people. I, I say, oh, I'm not doing home server anymore. And they're like, oh no, I'm still, I still have my home server. <laughs> like seriously. And there's oh, people yeah. still on 2011. And it's like, I you know, hey, I mean, hey, first of all, if it works, awesome. But, there will be a day it will no longer work. And I I really do think, you know, it's not getting any better. I do really think now is the time to start looking at something else. You should have a backup plan. I mean, yes, I still run Windows Media Center for my wife in the living room at home, but there will be a day when when either Windows 7 or Windows Media Center stops working. And, you know, it's good to have, I've been spending a lot of time on Plex, it's good to have a backup plan. And literally, you need a backup plan for your backup plan, right? So, you know, whether you're going to do a Veeam or you're going to look
1: at a Cronus or you're going to
0: figure something else out, I, I think those two are probably your best the, your best one and two options for it. Um,
1: yeah, think about um, VMs for a minute, too. So VM native backup, what does that mean? So what if you have backup that is looking at a virtual machine and say, oh, I'm going to back up that VM? In other words, it's not an agent you install in a VM. Veeam also does that. So they happen to be well known to people who are IT pros and virtualization enthusiasts, because they might be using Veeam at work to back up virtual machines. But for physical machines like laptops and stuff at home, they might you know already trust that company. There are many others. Uh, Vembu, Nikivo, Nikivo, and others have an appliance you download and you back up all your VMs at work. They're just getting into the space of backing up laptops as well. So the good thing I'm trying to say here is there's other companies competing in that space. And Vembu and Nikivo are two up-and-comers trying to take away some of Veeam's thunder there that's good. That's that multiple options for people and multiple people competing for a product you can trust to do to back up your daily driver, you know, laptop, whatever it is you do. Especially if you're like me and you travel and you need stuff to work when you're on the road for a living.
0: Yeah. No, right on, Paul. Thanks for, thanks for your thoroughness in this again and, and uh, really rolling through a ton of product. Thanks for saving my voice tonight. Uh, uh, it was great to just have you do 90% of the talking. I've been talking literally all day and uh, my voice is just now starting to go. Somebody asked me today at the very end of the day, they said, can you do this all day? I'm like, oh yeah, I can do this all day. Trust me. And I'm going to do it tonight when I get home as well. Um, I'm just getting to the point where I'm losing my voice. But Paul, thank you for coming on. I'll ask you to hang around for a few minutes. We'll do a little bit of post-show, but thanks for coming on and and, uh, giving us an update. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Jim. Always great to be back here. Yeah, great to
0: have you. Uh, we'll remind everyone, if you, support, if you want to support the show, and I mentioned uh, the first part of the show, if you want to get the, uh, the pre and the post show, which is always kind of interesting. Although last week had a little option with YouTube. Um, Paul, I've never had this happen before. At the end of the show last week, YouTube video got stuck processing. So, you know, we run these off YouTube live. They got done. It's normally 20, 25, 30 minutes. It processes. I get a little HD symbol, and I'm done. Download it. I can start editing it. Sat, sat. I thought, well, I'll just wait till the next morning. So Friday morning, I came back. Nope, still processing. I'm like, we have a problem here. Well, maybe I'll wait till the evening. We'll just see how it goes, maybe 24 hours. I get home, still processing. So I shoot YouTube. By the way, if something's stuck, YouTube does have support. I didn't think they did, but if you go down oh. to the my-
1: yeah, you, to reached, down, you reached a human at a company.
0: I reached a human at YouTube. Like, Ooh. yeah, it was pretty amazing. I sent there's a little feedback in a help section, and you get an email, right? So I sent this email to him. Hey, I've got a video. I took a picture of it. I sent him an ID. This thing is stuck. They said, "Well, we don't typically do anything until after four days. It it has to sit for four days before anything can be done." All right, four days. I'm going to DC. I'll just go and I'll handle it when I get there. So get to DC, I'm checking and I'm checking and I'm checking it at the, at the four day and one minute mark. I sent him an email because it's still stuck processing. Oh, by the way, going back and forth with a real person, not even automated. This was like a real person. We went back and forth and I made sure I said, thank you a couple times. I really appreciate you guys paying attention to this. And um, so I sent him a note on Tuesday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So Monday evening, I sent him a note and said, Hey, it's still not, and they're like, okay, we're going to send this off to an engineer. It may take a day or two to get this thing figured out. Okay, that's great. So I didn't hear anything from them Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday night I get home, boom, it's free, HD, it's done. They somehow kicked the video over and got it processed. It was all there. It was all the right stuff. It had just gotten stuck. Somewhere in the YouTube process, is so pretty amazing. One, I got somebody at YouTube. There, there are people there. Two, I got an engineer to fix it. Uh, so if you're ever in, if you're ever in YouTube land, it didn't. It's not quick. But if you're ever in YouTube land and something goes wrong, bottom left hand corner, hit their feedback, uh, and they have a little area you can go to to, to submit a ticket for support. And uh, and a person picked it up and gave it to me. So uh, so I say all that to say I couldn't get the pre and post show out to people because I didn't have the video. And so I waited for uh, I waited for it and uh, and I got it and I just put it in Patreon today. So if you want to support us, one dollar gets it there. Appreciate your support. It's just a great way for uh, for somebody to uh, to just stay involved in what we're doing. And I appreciate your support when you do that. Don't forget if you have an email, you want to send me a little encouragement or a little feedback. Got some great feedback last week. We started the newsletter weekly. Well, it's just one time. Well, do we do weekly this one? And remember, I'm just adding a short note, something in there, what's coming up and the schedule of the next four weeks. And we have about eight weeks scheduled out. So if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter yet and you want to get notification of who's coming up, like you would have known Paul was going to be here tonight if you subscribed to the newsletter. I won't spam you in any other way. Head out to TheAverageGuy.tv. There's a little subscribe button at the very top. It has the newsletter. Put your email in there. Sign up for it. I have about 50 of you that uh, that are on it today. Certainly, we could have more, and if you want to sign up for it, that head out to theaverageguy.tv and get that done. Don't forget the guy.tv platform, both web and media hosting, powered by Maple Grove Partners. People get secure, reliable, high speed hosting from people that you know and trust. Christian makes fun of me when I say that, and uh, but uh, I just saw Christian; spent the night with him at his place there in Virginia, and we had a good uh, we had a good time together. It was good good to see him, and good to see kind of the HQ there in Virginia uh, for him. But if you're interested in that kind of hosting, Head out to maplegrovepartners.com. Don't forget, LastPass uh, sponsors our mobile app, and we'll get the Android one fixed. Sorry that it's broken. But if you head out to homegadgetgeeks.com, we thank LastPass for their sponsorship of those apps, and they'll be sponsoring them for another year. So we appreciate them. Amber will be on here in November sometime, late October, early November. We'll have her back, kind of talk about what's going on, lots of stuff going on at at, uh, LastPass. And Paul, what are you showing me there? That's a great picture.
1: Well it just seemed appropriate, given you were just in DC. Some pictures I took when I was there in May. It was beautiful weather and uh kinda reminds me of when you when your television, your C R T tube TV, went off the air in the old days. If you fell asleep, this is what you saw as a flag or America there. So little patriotic picture there
0: yeah nice i feel like we should be playing the national anthem or
1: something yeah, we're, yeah. we're sick and all the other other people on the phone from you know, canada Israel. and australia we gotta look at the comments now right See what yeah doing that's true that's true i just uh, it's
0: funny because every time i go we stay not far from the white house so i like to take the walk up around the white house down to the washington monument if i'm adventurous i'll head down to the memorials um, if I'm really adventurous, I'll make the walk down to Congress and back around. That's about a five-mile walk if you want to do that. But I just took a picture. Yeah, I was just there. And uh,
1: yeah, the Secret and, Service guy standing with a blast door in front of her. I, I found it all interesting. Oh, just Paul, walking around. It was, yeah, it's just beautiful. it was
0: nuts when I was there. It is. There were there were people with boom boxes singing and dancing, and it was just crazy. Like, I've been to the White House a lot. It was pretty nuts. So. It was, a, it was Labor Day weekend, too, so you never know. And uh, the nation's capital is an interesting place to be right now. But uh, what's even more interesting is when you come out and listen to Paul Breran live. That's even more interesting. We are here every Thursday like that segue we're there every thursday 8 p.m central 9 eastern out the average live all kinds of different ways for you to listen both live and online don't forget we've got audio and video downloads for you if you want to get it that way we do it every week i've got eight weeks of stuff sign up for the newsletter we'll be back next thursday and with that we'll say good night everybody